No! One more punch would kill you. And I won't kill you. That somehow means I win! I go to jail, escape, kill people, go to jail! Rinse and repeat! Yes, it's an endless cycle, but I've sworn to let the courts do their work. What to do? And due to the persuasive testimony of the Batman, thank you Batman, the court has decided upon the death penalty. Sarah, it's out of my hands. Welcome everybody to a brand new episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast. I'm your host, David Luzader, and Heck yeah! With... Ooh, okay. Oh, that was delayed. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, and with me as always is of course Nick Shamuksness. Oh, fantastic. Welcome to the show, Nick. Welcome, David. Thank you. And and welcome all of our loyal listeners. It is great. This is this is man, so much going on this week. Saga has returned. Uh, Nameless has debuted. Oh, that's what I meant to read. You didn't read Nameless? I never made any promises. You were the one who were like, who were like, you were the one who was like, hey, it's Wednesday, new comics are out, make sure you get Nameless. Just because I said make sure you get it doesn't mean I, I didn't say make sure I read it myself. Well, I can't babysit you on these things. I need a lot of babysitting. Obviously you do. Uh, well, anyway. But anyway. Uh, other stuff that came out this week: Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, which I did not read. Star Wars, which I did not read. Uh, Witches. <laughs> sure. What else didn't we read? Witches, which I did read. Thank you very much. Ant Man. Uh, Ant Man. Hawkeye. Love, love Ant Man. The penultimate chapter of Hawkeye came out. What, what is Hawkeye? What is this book that you speak of? Uh, yes, I don't know, since it's been um, many, many moons since the last issue. I'm actually going to go down a hole here and, and look up when the last issue of Hawkeye was before today. Uh, I want to do a special shout-out to one series that I'm I'm sad to say never quite got a footing. It's the final issue of All New X-Factor um, by Peter David and, oh man, I'm going to butcher his name, <laughs> Carmine Di Giantominco. Carmine Falcone? Yeah, let's just say Carmine Falcone. Um, it was, in a way, a sense, a continuation from Peter David's previous X-Factor work. Um, he actually started his tenure with the team in the 90s with a government-sponsored mutant team, X-Factor. Mm-hmm. And then in the 2000s, he had launched out of House of M the private detective agency, X-Factor, and then 20 issues earlier, he launched All New X-Factor, which was a privately owned superhero team, uh, mutant team specifically, uh, through a, a, a company called Serval Industries, which was more or less like a, a Google-type company that started from a small kind of base, and then they now they have their hands in like every little thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it had a, a cast of characters that we're probably never going to make the book last very long to begin with, but Peter David's strengths has always been taking those characters that most writers overlook and then imbuing them with a sense of personality and pathos um, that then once he's done playing with them, everyone wants to play with. Hmm. Um, so basically whenever Peter David picks up a toy, someone goes, no, I want that one. Um, so yeah, 
Um, but you know what? Over the course of his twenty issues, it was a it was an overall good book. Um, I mean, there's some issues here or there that uh, like I, I didn't feel like it was going anywhere. But but Peter David, you always get a sense that he does have a plan, and he really makes his name with like the little character moments that just sprout up. You know, it, it's more or less like he's really good at kind of doing that. Uh, what was it like a kind of like a prototypical superhero brawl? Like, oh, like I just came out of nowhere and I'm gonna ruin your day, and everyone's like, Arr, 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 like, like, but like in the sort of cliche, tried and true formula of like typical, you know, hero versus villain battles, you mm-hmm. get a lot of interesting character studies and moments. Um, I would say I, I'm much more fond of his private detective agency run, um, which I kind of came up with. Not, I didn't come up with it. I kind of growing up alongside it. Um, he, did, he didn't. I, he didn't come up to you and was like, "Look, Nick, I really need an idea." And you were like, <laughs> "Don't worry, I've got this." And then he never gave me credit. Thanks, yeah. Peter David. Um, but I wish all new X Factor had had gained more traction. His his previous X Factor volume, which ended just prior to this one starting, went on for quite a while. Like he had a fairly consistent. Um, readership that was picking it up that Marvel was allowing it to continue for as long as it did. Um, I mean, from the end of House of M to essentially like a year ago. So that's that's been quite that's quite a long time. House of M, you know, was like back in two thousand six. Um, it's a good chunk of change. That's true. It's a good uh, two thousand five. Wow. So. Um, I mean, the, his his X Factor tenure has been going on essentially for decades. Um, you know, I don't know. I he kind of says in the opening page that he's hopeful that the book will be able to return in some form in the future. I hope it does. I hope it finds better traction then. Um, well, if, if the return of Howard the Duck can teach us anything, it's that all books have a possibility of returning. Well. And I'm I'm not going to feed into the conspiracy aspect of this whole that Marvel is somehow marginalizing the X Men franchise because they can't exploit it in no, well, like it, the main. That's, that's so dumb because if you look at the numbers, like X Men is still a very high selling book. There's people who read Marvel just to read X Men. Exactly. I mean, X Men is definitely it's still a viable concept. I I would say franchise for Marvel as far as comic book publishing goes. I'm not. I'm not going to speak anything to the to the conspiracies and inflame them in any way. Um, I mean, X X Factor alone, like the, you had a, a team of Gambit, who's probably the most high profile character. You had Quicksilver, who, as soon as this book, like he basically is, he's only in this final issue as a um, a recorded video to his sister Lorna, basically saying, uh, yeah, like you want me gone, so I'm leaving. I'm going back to the Avengers like you like you told me to, which, long story, I'm not going to get into it. Um, it has two robots in it, Warlock and Danger, who was created by Joss Whedon from his Astonishing X-Men run. And then it has Doug Ramsey, whose power is language. Um, okay. It, it, what, Wait, it was a, stop it, stop it, there. Stop there a second. His power is language. Linguistics. So as in he can speak any language? He can speak any language, okay. including the language of machines. What about the language of love? Is he fluent in the language of love? He struggles, okay. but, uh, but he'll get there. It's a, diff- get there. It's, a, it's a difficult one to master. You know? it's, it's, he's one of those characters that like he doesn't have a, a flashy power, so no one necessarily gravitated to him. But the, the, these were a, a group of characters. Like Gambit's, his, his heyday 
it came and went. Gambit. Oh, that's is, really is, sad, is, but it's kind of true. You know, firmly entrenched in the nineties. Um, nostalgia. And we're, like, we're still kind of clinging on to him a little I, bit too. We are. I, I think he's a great character. I, I don't think that his, his, his time is over, but I think you really have to rebuild him from the ground up and, and reposition him in a way that I don't know that, you know, he could like he had an ongoing series prior to this that got canceled after like fifteen issues. This was twenty issues. He's not. There aren't enough people running out of their way to get a book solely for Gambit well, the way that we, they would Wolverine or Spider Man. We really like Gambit in theory. Yeah, we like we like the Gambit that we used to have, but we don't really need any more new Gambit. The, well, he's just—he's—he is a tough character to crack now that uh, the the '90s ex- extremism is over. I don't know. I mean, he doesn't look kind of as ridiculous as he used to. He—he kind of lost the head sock that he oh, was wearing. Oh, he needed the head sock though. <laughs> that was his thing sock, though. It was—it was you know—it was all about it was that look. He had that look, you know, the look. Yeah, you know, it, uh, no, get rid of the head sock. Um. I will say I read some of his, his solo uh, series, and it was pretty good. I liked the writer. Um, it had some gorgeous art by Clay Mann uh, on most of the issues. Um, but, yeah, no. The, thankfully, they also got rid of the head sock. <laughs> um, but besides Gambit, you had Quicksilver, who like, was on borrowed time because the second Age of Ultron hit, he was totally going to be in the Avengers. And uh, he's in Uncanny Avengers. And How about he's that? technically not even Polaris' brother anymore because... They, it was revealed that Magneto wasn't their actual father. Hashtag spoiler alert. Uh, it was an Axis, which came out like a month ago, so get over it. Um, we also talked about it last week. What? Did we? Yes, we had that whole thing about like the... Uh... Whoa. Whoa. What is going on over there? I can't... You, what, David? Yeah, what just happened? I don't know. Do you like... Like in and out. Whoa. Okay. Did you not hear that? I can hear you now. I heard you say, can you hear that? Okay, there was like a... Like some... Are you doing anything with your microphone? Nope, it's not even moving. Okay, it's like somebody's like... You know, like... Running a sock over the microphone right now. Nope, I'm not even touching it. That better not be on my end. That would be annoying. Well, we're too far into the show to start, uh, stop and start again, so we're just going to keep going. I apologize severely, everybody, who just had can to deal just, with that. Can you just take the, this part of the recording out? I mean, you know, I could say I'm going to. Cool. Um, yeah, no, last, 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 week, last week we talked about how um, they think What's-His-Name is their father. Oh, because we talked about Uncanny Avengers, right. Yes. Um... Yeah, so it wasn't. It was really in the last like two years that they revealed that Polaris, uh, another um, metal controlling mutant, a magnet mutant, um, was 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 firmly confirmed to be the daughter of Magneto, which made her the half sister of Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. So even in all new X Factor, uh, it was partly about like uh, uh, a budding sibling ship between Quicksilver and Polaris. They even had Scarlet Witch stop by for an issue. Um, and literally by the close of the book, you, you know, they don't reference it in the book at all. Um, but, you know, you know, okay, now they're not even siblings. Mm-hmm. So that that's all over the place. But, I mean, 
Polaris is a cool character, but again, there's not a lot of draw for it. You have Doug, like I said, Doug Ramsey, and then you have Warlock and Danger. It's not a cast of character that's going to light the sales charts on fire. Yeah, that's not that's not something like that's that's sort of a niche group. Like it's, the, it's, the, yeah, the general audience is not clambering for that. But you'll have like a few people who are like, "That is so cool. That's the group that I want." No, I don't think this is even a group that anyone ever said they want it. But like I said, Pure David takes the characters that people don't want and then makes you want them. Like I definitely came to appreciate all of these characters more over the course of these 20 issues. I wish that his focus, like he, like he brought in this like new mutant character named Georgia who like could suck like the humidity out of you or whatever, like she'd make you really dry and then basically you would die. Um, he spent a lot of time on her and I didn't really care for her a lot. Um, um, I thought that took, and there, I mean, there's this whole thing going on with like the, the, the head of several industries um, that as of this issue, like it kind of like when, when you're done reading it, you're like, Oh, that's an interesting twist. If only people had bought this series more, we could have seen how it truly panned <laughs> out. Um, so he, he kind of leaves you on a bombshell that hopefully will stir up enough interest that the book could come back in some form between presumably post secret wars. Um, yeah. All, all, of this, this all of this to say that we are sad to see the book go. <laughs> long story short, thank you for your time, all new X Factor. It was cut too soon. Hope to see you again sometime. Stop by for a beer if you get a chance. You don't even drink. I don't have to drink to enjoy a beer with all new X Factor. So are you just going to like watch it drink the beer? That's going to be really awkward. I, If I'm not uncomfortable, I feel awkward. Oh. Wait. It's not comfortable. Anyway. (laughs) What what else stirred your pot this week? Well, um, I mean, obviously, I'm really excited by the fact that Saga is back into the mix. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought, you know, we don't need to delve too much into it. Actually, there is one thing I want to talk about uh, about it really quick. So I really enjoyed the issue. I thought it was a very good issue. Uh, it, It was another one that pulled on the heartstrings a little bit. There's one moment, though, where I felt was a little bit of Brian K. Vaughn being a little cocky about his writing. And I know he's that's not how he is, so that might seem weird. But uh, it's the part when you have uh, the brand, uh, Gwendolyn and Sophie are all on that planet uh, trying to get the the dragon spunk. Mm -hmm. And he... Uh, his words, his words, <laughs> and uh, Hazel is, you know, is is narrating, and she says, "Spoiler alert: They eventually succeed, but at a greater cost than they expected." And that narration to me was totally unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Um, no. And I, you know, I felt like he's he's done some really clever stuff with the narration in the past, where he did the whole thing, where it's like, mm-hmm. this is the story of how my parents separated. And then led us on this journey that we all thought was going one way, and then suddenly took this incredible right turn, and it meant something entirely different that I absolutely loved. And he just did this thing in here about, you know, and I don't want to spoil it because it just came out yesterday. Um, that I, you know, I really felt like him doing this line of, it's, you know, oh, it's they're going to do it, but it's going to be at a really great cost. It's like, why couldn't you just show me that? Like, I didn't need to know. Like, mm-hmm. like just. That, why did the surprise need to be pulled out of that? Uh, I mean, that's and it. You know, I, I have very few complaints about Saga overall. 
Um, I think Saga's a fantastic book. Uh, I'm just, you know, that's, that, that's, that's just one thing that miffed me a little bit. Yeah, it, it really is a line they could have done without. Um, you know, he obviously had a reason for putting in there. Uh, you know, maybe it will be explained more as time goes on. But no, you know, knowing that that the will, it's what it's one. Of, it's kind of like a is, is catch twenty two the right term? It it um, on one hand, like you lose the suspense of whether or not the will will ever recover. Well, I think. But at we, the same we, time, think... you're now you're just wondering what, what is this cost that he speaks of? Like, what exactly is going to happen to them for them to be able to save the will? We, we, I think we've always known that the will is going to survive because Hazel talks about the will as if she's met him. Um, mm -hmm. You know, she refers to him one of the early issues. That's you know, he's he's one of the many people that came after us, but he's like, but he's an absolute monster. So she has some sort of personal connection to the will we just don't know what that is at that at this point yeah uh, and apparently it's not a particularly good connection but well no no and as much as i actually really like the character of the will it's really interesting that we get to see i think the side of him that hazel is not going to get to see or maybe something's going to happen to him while he's in this kind of weird coma where when he comes out of it he's he's going to be a monster yeah, I mean, you gotta, you gotta think when you, you know, kind of like with writing one hundred and one, you know, when when you give a character something, you've got to take something else away. Mm -hmm. So, you know, on one hand, like, yes, they're able to save the will, but kind of per real life, you know, you know, opportunity cost. Like, mm -hmm. they had they have to lose something to be able to get them back, and the will, you know, has to lose something to be able to come back himself. So it's possible that he maybe suffered some kind of brain damage, like his personality gets scrambled and he just comes out of it much worse for wear. Um, it'll be interesting to see. And of course there's that, that one line that Hazel mentions that just really, oh, really just tugs so at you. Heartbreaking. It's just like, but you know, like I said, is it when you say years, I mean, literally you're saying at minimum two. That's true. But like I said, it's two years in that situation is still horrible. Yeah. Um, I really have to say, I, you know, I'm kind of just flipping through pages here again. I thought Fiona Staples uh, just fantastic in this issue. And, you know, Fiona Staples, you can argue, is fantastic in every issue of this book. But there's just, um, like, the designs of the dragon, um, of the dragons, I should say, and just, like, all the panels with that are just really, really well done. Um, sort of this this level of of detail that makes them seem very real and not entirely like oh really outlandish sci-fi because there's totally some you know there's robot people with tv heads this um, book is if i had to describe it with one word it would be outlandish yeah and like there's that planet that's like half a planet like that just the visuals uh so some of the some of the panels in this book i thought were 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 top notch even among um even among the uh the panels of saga and i really like the beginning part where we kind of get an explanation of the war in its early days and then sort of leading up to even where we are right now. Mm -hmm. I, I like the, I like the history um, because I, you know, I love when things are this thought out in this fictional story. Like and we've, you know, we've known for Brian K. Vaughn, this is a very real world for him and mm -hmm. just to see evidence of that uh, displayed. And he did it very naturally. It's not like in a bragging way of like, look at this world I created. 
it's not like here's you know the 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 twenty page uh you know like novella of of you know the history of the world of saga mm-hmm. it's just he's presenting this information uh really well and it just fits very uh very well so would you describe it as well you know what not cool <laughs> not cool <laughs> hey you know you know what i didn't read this week also that i just saw in my pile uh, i haven't i forgot to read east of west also yeah that that's in my pile the ever-growing pile of unread books but it, I'll tackle it. It's on my list of things to tackle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm actually yeah. all caught up with East and West except for this most recent issue, so yeah. I don't feel too bad. No, no, same here. Actually, and now I want to take this moment to talk about something that didn't come out this week. actually came out a couple weeks ago, but a couple weeks ago I said, or well, over like a month ago actually, but a couple weeks ago I said I was going to get, get caught up on it. Uh, and now I have, and that book is Trees. Oh, I haven't caught up yet. I know you haven't. But you can um, talk about it. I'll, I, I'll allow it. And, you know, I'm, I'll probably just say a couple of initial thoughts. Um, no, no, just go, go whole hog. Say whatever comes to mind. Well, oh, I mean, okay. Because well, well, be, I also, I would love to discuss this with you at a future point, but you, I don't know how many issues you are behind on it. Um, four. Yeah, I didn't know that uh, at issue eight, which is which is the last one that came out, um, there's actually a break until issue nine, um, and there's not even been like a date announced for when the book is coming back. So it's not an indefinite hiatus. Um, there's definitely a teaser for the next part, uh, and Warren Ellis has has talked about it, and apparently, apparently he's a little bitter about the numbers. I don't know if you've seen any of that. I've seen um, a little bit of it. Yeah, he's <laughs> uh, he was like. Um, cause you know, spoiler alert with the way things are set up, it, you know, not everyone is in a happy place. And he's like, what did the eight of you who are reading trees think there was going to be happy endings? Um, so this is a book where it's, it's, it's definitely, it's very paced out. It's a little bit slower. I made the comment to you, Nick, when I finished it, when I caught up that, um, I could see this being a prose novel and that wasn't necessarily an insult. And I, I, you know, I, well, not even, not necessarily, I just, I don't think it's an insult. I think I'm just saying that the way that the story is being told, the way that's being paced out really could have been told, um, in, you know, in a novel with, with paragraphs and theater of the mind, not to saying that there aren't really great visuals in this book, mm-hmm. uh, but I think that the picture could have been equally painted eloquently with words. Um, not, you know, and I'm, I'm glad we're getting it in, in comic form. It's just an interesting um, thought I had about it. Uh, see, I know it's been over a month. I don't want to spoil things for you, which is uh, which is really because like, there's some there's some actually really really sad stuff that happens at the conclusion of number eight, um, and also some really interesting things that are setting up for. Uh, hold on, let me let me root through this stack a little bit here. Talk amongst yourselves. Uh, okay, there's issue seven. I'm trying to see what the name of the next storyline is. I forget. I Wait, think... issue eight was the most recent one. Did they come out yesterday? No, no, issue eight came out last oh, month. Oh, a couple weeks ago. A couple weeks ago, right? Okay. Okay, so, so I, I don't, I don't know where that one. Up. Don't know where issue eight is. I think the next one is called. The next storyline is called Two Forests. Um, and Two Forests, I think, has been set up really, really well. Mm-hmm. One storyline that I that I'm really interested about. Uh, is remember in the first issue, there's that one guy who's like the mayor of New York or something. Mm-hmm. And he's talking to uh, like a reporter or he's talking to like his, uh, 
I don't know, he's talking to someone in his office. That doesn't get brought up until the very end of this issue. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. But also there's stuff happening in this issue where stuff, like things with the trees are changing. And part of that is like, you know, people are now treating them differently. Um, people are reacting after this 10 years. Like the cow, like the powder keg is, is exploding sort of literally in some cases. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is definitely um, a book that kind of, it, it's kind of asking you to be in it for the long haul. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's not going to be for everyone. Um, the way that it's paced. Yeah. The way Versus that... like Saga is a book that's clearly got a long-term goal. Mm -hmm. But um, there's so much that happens like issue to issue. It's just, you know, it's just going. And this is a book that's like, look, we're going to, we're going to set, like, we're going to, you know, turn the heat up every once in a while, but then we're just going to turn back down to simmer and you've just got to let stuff simmer because when we, you know, when we add that heat again, it's going to be big. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, you know, I'm enjoying it. I enjoy that kind of story. But I could see how this is a book that, yes, people would have dropped off of after the first couple of issues because it's kind of like, you know, I don't I don't really see a lot happening. Mm -hmm. and And that's fair. I'm really curious to see if um, Two Forests is going to have more happening because people things definitely could or if uh we're going to re return to this pace um which i don't think would be necessarily a bad thing but at least when it starts out it needs to have some momentum um to carry to carry over some of these storylines like there needs to be some things addressed and uh, the fallout of certain things shown i don't know if he's going to do a time jump or anything um but I just really hope that he doesn't go back to, okay, we're going to pick up immediately where things left off and we're not really going to get conclusion for the first couple of issues because the first couple of issues are like taking, you know, like two hours after the end of eight and mm. nothing's going to happen in those two hours. It's going to happen in the next 24 and the next 24 is going to be over the course of a few issues. So I, I really enjoying this book. Um, don't think that it's for everyone though. So if you're not reading it, uh, partially feel bad, but also don't. it's it's a compli it's a complicated partially, partially feeling. Feel bad. It's a complicated feeling to have. I understand. Uh, what else? What else was stirring stirring your pot this week? Well, obviously, I I think I went on like two different Ant Man tangents today. Um, I don't want to go too much into it. It's only been it's only the second issue, but I will say that. More what I enjoyed most in the first issue has continued into the second. The, the humor has kept up. The the, the humor the, the the humor the the execution I should say the execution of the humor is consistent, and I applaud. There's just like this one line, um, where he just like I don't I don't basically he's in in the middle of trying to like get a loan, um, and uh, he's trying a, to start a business, right? He's trying to start a business. Uh, a robot uh, it, at this bank where he's trying to get the loan, they they were storing like an old Nazi robot that like turned things into gold or something like that. Of course, like, really yes, random. That, yes, that makes sense. The robot escapes as, um, as they as they are wont to do, um, and Ant Man stops it. And this whole time, like his daughter, like went with him to to get the loan, but she stayed outside and waited for him. So he like comes out, um, and. It, it, Without saying exactly how he gets the loan, he gets a loan, um, and and his daughter's like all happy for him. And she's like, "What was that that robot that was like like running around in there?" 
And he was like, oh, I think it was just some kind of art installation thing. And she's like, but I saw people running and screaming. And he just, like, puts his arm around her, looks at her, and it's just like, art is supposed to affect you, Cassie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, it was just, it was perfectly, the, the humor in the book is perfectly set up. So, okay. and, like I said, it's very rare that I will laugh out loud at a book. This book genuinely makes me laugh out loud. See, that's great. That's how I felt with Rumble. Where, you know, I'm not fully sure my full thoughts on the book, but as far as humor goes, it totally gets me. It, it gets you. It gets mm. you. It, it, yeah, it's just, it's, it's good. My original criticism stand where it's just like, I don't really have any control of it, so I'm not trying to get hung up on it. The fact that, like, I think that they, they regressed his character just mm. to s- s- toe the line of the upcoming movie. Like, I get it. I respect the process. For someone that's had more experience with Scott Lang, it feel it does feel like a step back. But I, I understand why they make that decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I'm kind of so the way that I, you know, because apparently it's it's severe enough that I have to like convince myself to look at it as a Scott Lang, even though it is the Scott Lang. It's this is an interpretation of him, uh, and I just need to go along for the ride and enjoy it. And I'm enjoying it. it it's a great book. Like definitely check out Ant Man, people. It's only two issues in. It's it doesn't really bog you down with too much continuity, and any continuity it does is used in fairly humorous ways. Okay, no, that's uh, that's really cool. And speaking of Marvel, just changing things uh, for the sake of of movies and whatnot. You know, I sent you that picture. Was it two weeks ago of the uh, the the Star Lord statue, and it had the the look he had before they changed his mask back uh, when he had like the helmet. Mm-hmm. I really liked that helmet. I did too. And, and you know, I don't have a lot of familiarity with the character, but I thought there was something much more iconic about that look than the one that. Um, that that's sort of like one of the things. Um, with with Star Lord now is I just there's no iconic look to him. He is like Johnny Everyman sort of. His, his yeah, his look has kind of changed, especially in the. Uh... Since Bendis took over the Guardians, the launched the new Guardians of the Galaxy series, his like he had the Annihilation Conquest look, which obviously was endeared to a lot of people, including myself. This is when I first discovered him, and he basically kept that same look throughout the entire Guardians of the Galaxy run that the movie was inspired by. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of go into limbo for a little bit, and then when the Guardians Guardians of the Galaxy movie gains traction, Marvel obviously, obviously like Ant Man, kind of you know sets up the new guardians as a franchise and it's been successful so far. And so when, when Bendis launches guardians of the galaxy, he kind of tweaks uh, some details in Peter's origin, which is fine. Cause it's a little jumbled, um, including like the look of his element gun it's called where basically he can shoot electricity or water or rocks. It, most of the time he just shoots electricity. Okay. That's now, I think now, now it's, cool. now it's just a gun. Like, I don't think they even established it's, it in, well, 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 I mean, within the, within the movie he, confines. I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think back to the, the pre, before, before the release of the movie, I'm trying to think of the earlier Bendis Guardians issues where, like, they show the gun in vivid detail, like, close up, and it's a, the way that they redesigned the gun is really cool looking. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I actually dug it. And then the second the movie came out and the book, like, with no explanation, you just open the, the next issue and all of a sudden Peter Quill is all about the white beaters and red jackets. And his his guns have literally just changed to look like the movie guns, 
which mm-hmm. frankly are kind of boring looking. The ones he carries around in the movie, there's really they, really they look are. like these old Halo guns, like like really bland guns from Halo. Like the ones that shot like the little laser spikes, little purple laser spikes. That's what they look like. Purple laser spikes. And and I just think like they kind of traded down as far as the guns go. And on one hand, I it took me a while, but the 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 uniform that he wore at the beginning of Bendis's run, where it was like like the helmet shows his full face, and then like he basically looked like an, an overly rendered Power Ranger. Um, <laughs> it actually grew on me. Uh, if he, if I would have even been okay if they kept the helmet, which didn't skew too far from his original helmet, because his original helmet at least kept like from the nose down. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and then just kind of made his his body armor a bit more muted instead of kind of like a little busy. It was too busy, I thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would have been totally cool with that. So like they they established him with this armor, and then the second movie comes out that doesn't use this new armor that they worked with at all. That's like he doesn't wear it anymore. Like, they've completely discontinued it from almost ever existing. Yeah. And it's just, it's just, I'm okay with, I'm, on one hand, I don't mind, again, I respect why they tow the line of the movies, regardless of how they try to rationalize it. I wish that at the very least there was some in-story explanation. If the guns that he's using in the, the comics right now aren't his element gun, isn't his element gun, because technically he has two of them, where he only had one before, mm-hmm. um, then why is he using them? What happened to his element gun if those aren't the element gun? And and how did he get them? Well, and so then it, why did he discard this armor for, for... And I'm talking... And this is one of the things that bothered me in the movie, too, was the fact that I thought he was a little underdressed to be floating around in space. Agreed. Um, um, why did he trade in much more practical body armor for a red beater and a red jacket. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, the world, the world may never know. See, it all happened off panel. They were on a planet. Um, and like they were, yeah, there was like a monster made of lava who really just wanted to love. Um, and you know, they, they misinterpreted everything and ended up hugging, uh, uh, Peter Quill, thus destroying his armor because the armor was the only thing that stopped the uh, the lava monster's deadly touch uh, from getting to his skin. I think they mentioned it like in a line um, somewhere in an Avengers comic, so you probably didn't read it. <laughs> uh, Marvel, you're welcome for that one. You can send the checks to uh, nowhere because you don't give a crap about this show. Um, um, yeah. Oh, hey, so... speaking, of, speaking of Power Rangers, did you hear the one killed the guy? I did one of the the, the wild force red rangers yeah one of the red rangers well it, it was self-defense it, yeah he, I, I haven't really been following i just noticed some yeah that. another another show i listened to was talking about it and uh it's probably the most ridiculous story of the week yeah ah too bad there's not more power rangers comics or else we could justify talking about it on this show let's make a power ranger comic i think they already existed in the 80s well, no, 90s, I mean, there's 90s, actually, 90s, I think 80s. a company called Paper Cuts produces uh, Power Rangers comics. Really? Yeah, but uh, I, I have some ideas I'll talk to you about after the show. Okay. Um, yeah, so Star-Lord. 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 Where did we even get on that tangent? Because um, we were talking about Scott Lang, and then I mentioned that I really like the iconic look of Star-Lord. Mother, oh, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of those things where 
I, I could totally get on board with like the red jacket crap and all that if they at least covered the top of his head. Because hmm. yeah. all it takes is someone looking down from you from above and boom, like sniper attack right on the top of your head. Yeah. So it's like on one hand, well, like I got the mask back, but it's just like, come on, what's what's stopping you from just just a little bit more, just adding the top of the helmet on? And you're good. Well, it, okay, they obviously are going to solve all of their problems with dance-offs, so they don't have to worry about the top of their head. Apparently. apparently. Yeah. It, you know, it, and I was saying this to, to Anna earlier, because I driving home, I made her feel better by going on an Ant-Man tangent, which, again, led to me to okay, uh, a Star-Lord tangent. Made her feel better? Or... No, she likes when I talk about these Because things. it helps her sleep. Yeah, basically. Um... Oh, man, what was I saying? You went on a tangent, which, uh, you know, as we... It never happens on the show. That's, no, that's I never go on a tangent us. on the show. I'm very concise and orderly about what I have to say. Um, I, I forget. <laughs> I, uh, I know I, I, I was saying, like, I, I know I was talking to her about, like, just my... my I don't appreciate man-children characters anymore. Now that I'm, I'm getting onto the ripe old age of 27 later this year. Now that you're becoming I, a man child. I just, now that I am becoming a man child, I just, I'm a self-loathing man child. Um, right, I just, I, I get that these characters aren't necessarily being geared towards me anymore. But I mean, despite the fact that Scott Lang is like 40. Um, <laughs> but I just, it's hard, even with Peter Parker, who's kind of a universal character, I don't like that they i feel like these characters that have gone through some really pretty crazy experiences and i realized if they were being realistic at all like these characters probably all would have committed suicide by now um or would have been killed um what or have been killed or just have gone completely off the deep end you know that that, that despite like visiting other planets or like commuting with like the go elder gods of the universe that like they can still kind of go back down to earth and like not have enough money for a cheeseburger. Um, but th th I think there's a line between like going through these extraordinary experiences and then coming out the side a little more humbled and, and wisened. Why is that a right word? Wisened. I'm gonna we're use we're just going to go with it. We're going to go with it, you know, and then just like completely like having all these incredible experiences just bounce off of you and you're just kind of a, an unlearning man child. Well, you and know, so... I just, I just, at this stage in my life where I'm trying to get everything in order to be more responsible and kind of like get on a progressive trajectory, it's hard reading about people that just constantly f themselves up through their own short sightedness. Okay, okay, but give, allow me to counterpoint, if you will. Uh, yeah, I will agree they are trying to reach a certain kind of audience. But I think for some of these characters, I'm not saying for all, there could also be sort of a deeper point to what you're talking about. These people who go through these experiences, which are often grandiose and some, you know, also often traumatic. Um, there's a book that I'm currently reading called The Twelve. And a section, so it, it's, a, it's a sequel to this book called The Passage, uh, which is about sort of this post-apocalyptic world. And in the 12, a section of this book goes back to the year that everything uh, goes to shit and mm -hmm. uh, examines a few people at, you know, at the very beginning of everything falling apart. And one of the characters is this woman, Lila. And Lila is pregnant in this horrific world. 
and she saw um she saw you know something really really horrible happen right in front of her eyes so the way that she copes with it is that she forces herself to see everything as if you know it was just another day like she's you know she's driving around the streets and she's getting upset that people have you know people are parking their cars in the middle of the street that's so ridiculous she has places to be and she goes to like the home depot and of course you know where are all the people who work at home depot because i need help right now and you know she she sees someone there and starts you know getting really upset with him because in you know in her brain the rationale is oh this man must work at the home depot nobody's here to help me what's going on and you know, she has a couple lucid moments where she realizes how horrible everything is. And she says in these moments that uh, she knows what's going on. But the only way that she can handle this and cope with it is by acting very flippant. And um, as if this was, you know, if this was a Sunday afternoon and nothing really matters. So to bring that back to this, I th I'm not saying this is all, but I think there could be some really interesting character points where these men who are in their 40s are starting to, you know, they, they act like they're still 17 because, you know, they have died, they've seen their best friends die, they've been beaten to pulps, they have gone to extreme lengths and seen the end of the universe, now they're back in ordinary life, and the only way to deal with it is to act like, oh, everything's not a big deal, like everything's great, or just, you know, we're, just, we're always going to be having fun. So which which I I totally respect. If that was their the way that you portray if... it, but obviously, it's, it's like like you know, if someone was younger, if they were just getting into comic books, was reading it, they'd be totally immersed in it. And maybe it's just I've I I, I see the strings behind the scenes too much, so I realize that that they're not really trying to hide the they're not, they're not trying to portray say Star Lord now as a character who you know, uses flippancy as a coping mechanism. You know, they, they do overtly say that with Spider-Man, but like he, say like when I got into comic books with J. Michael Straczynski's run, love it or hate it, the way he portrayed Spider-Man was as someone who made mistakes, didn't always come out on top, but was at least somewhat humbled by the experiences that he had endured up to that point. Mm -hmm. Um and that's the Spider-Man that always resonated with, which then you can get into a whole conversation about nostalgia factor and that I'm going to always be hung up on my first Spider-Man. Um, we always, and, remember, and our, even, we always <laughs> remember our first Spider-Man. We always remember our first Spider-Man. Uh, there's the there's your uh, um, episode title. Uh, I was I, I had self-loathing man-child then, but I think we have to go with you always remember your first Spider-Man. Um you know, and but in, and even though say like I enjoyed, you know, one of the things that made me enjoy Superior Spider-Man so much because I had largely been, I hadn't been reading the the post J. Michael Straczynski run because uh, you know the One More Day and Brand New Day and all that stuff. Like I just really wasn't into it. I came back with Superior Spider-Man, and even though he was, you know, in being possessed by a megalomaniacal maniac or whatever, his kind of his perspective was on maturing peter up like getting him his college degree setting up an, a, a a company in his name like getting all his ducks in a row that you know peter is no less a genius than doc ock because he always tends the best doc ock and yet he could never get his life in order and doc ock more or less found a way to do it and it didn't seem that hard um 
And uh, I really liked seeing this perspective of Peter Parker from the outside in being like, well, Peter is kind of a, a short-sighted screw-up. And and then when Peter came back, I, I've, I've just been like, even throughout Spider-Verse, I'm like, oh, this guy's an idiot. <laughs> you know, and he's supposed to be a genius, which doesn't necessarily qualify you as knowing how to like, oh, figure no, out no, life. Oh, no, 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 no. As somebody who uh, spins... As someone who's a genius? No, as, well, yes. But as someone who spends a lot of his time around uh, PhD candidates, uh, let me tell you a couple things. Number one, um, they're pretty much all alcoholics. That's just a, <laughs> that's a fact of grad school, if you didn't know that. Uh, number two, I have met some people that are like, man, you're getting your PhD. You sure are an idiot. Like, they're very book smart, but when it comes to practicality, and street smart, some of them just not clicking and in the slightest. Anyway, continue. Thank, no, thank, thanks for that insight. That I mean, I certainly don't want to negate that that aspect. It's not. I don't want to. Like, yeah, you, you can have. Some I'm, of talk, I'm talking about my preferences. You know, right, right, I, right. I don't necessarily. I don't necessarily want to read about like a, a a superhuman perfect genius person that's got everything figured out. Like, I want to see characters struggle. But if characters are going to start off short sightedness, I want to see them progress to a point where. They might occasionally make short-sighted decisions, but ideally they've kind of caught on to their own antics, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of like makes me having a hard time caring about Dan Slott's Spider-Man or the current Star-Lord. Uh, whatever Nick Spencer is doing to make me care about Scott Lang, I mean, like, more of that, please, like, top me off because that book is so freaking funny. Mm -hmm. Um I, I, I want to move away from the, the man-child talk. If you like your man-children, you know, coddle them, hold them close, breastfeed them or whatever. Like, do whatever oh, you got to do to keep weird. them safe and sound. But, you know, I, I'm looking for something a little different. Okay. You know, hey, that was some unexpected talk, but I think it was uh, some good conversation. Yeah. We, so, like, yeah. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, David, keep going. Blah, blah, blah. So, uh, you know, looking sort of at time here, we're going to kind of, we're going to transition now uh, into our, uh, well, unless there's any other book that you... Uh, I mean, there's a lot of books that, that came out, actually. I mean, I picked up three weeks worth of books, uh, more or less, mm -hmm. um, this 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 week. But, I mean, I didn't get to most of them, so... Okay, that's fine. Maybe, maybe next week. I think we should make, well... Do we do we want to wait until issue two to talk about Nameless? So we're not doing the whole first issue. Thing. Like first yeah, issue let's wait. I, I mean, I haven't read it, and hopefully in that time, I'll I'll prioritize catching up on Trees as well. Okay, to have a more thorough conversation. Um, yeah, and I also caught up on Witches, but uh, I I do want to talk about Witches, but I want to talk about it soon, not okay. necessarily now. Um, all right, so we're going to transition to our still currently unnamed section of the show. Crossover conversations. I don't really think that applies to all of them, though. Well, it applies to this one. Well, it does apply to this one. So the question that I am presenting to uh, Nicholas uh, P. Uh, Shermooksness, the P stands for Petunia. Uh, Aunt Petunia. Is if you had the chance to write a story in which you got to cross over two characters from different universes, and this can be, you know, Marvel, DC, Valiant, um, Archie, you know, whatever. Uh, what are the two that you would cross over with the stipulation that you could um, you could just cross over these two characters and any who are directly associated with them? 
the, and what got me on this question is I was thinking about Spider-Man and how I really liked Spider-Man up until it was a Peter Parker in the Ultimate Avengers comic. And then the book really lost me. Wait, what Spider-Man book? Spider-Man? When it was like the crossover of, uh, you know, Spider-Man and Ultimate Spider-Man. But then like three issues in, Miles Morales kind of took a backseat and, and only was in like every other page and it was all about peter parker being the ultimate universe and then he was talking to ultimate tony stark for like an issue oh right okay okay yeah yeah so anyway nick which which characters would you choose and how would you cross them over give me a brief like a quick possible storyline um can i do this in a way where like they always existed in that universe or like they travel there and they stay there so to speak. Well, I mean, they don't have to stay there. Well, I, I like one, one of the characters that I feel like, and I think this is one of the popular choices is Batman okay. and how, like, uh, I think if you read interviews with like Marvel Chris, where it's like, if we could take one character, it'd be Batman. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's, and, and I, I, when you'd ask this question, like, I was like, I was just trying to like, like, I just sat back and like, imagine like Batman, like in the Avengers movie, like, like there's Cap and Iron Man and there's this like Batman. And it's, it's, it's funny just because the two universes like seem so separate. I mean, they are like separate companies and all that. Like you feel like there's such a Wait, distinction what? between them. No, it's funny. Cause I'll have, I'll have family members all the time who are like now, uh, like is, is Batman going to be in the next like Iron Man movie? I'm like, no. No, separate universes, Mom. <laughs> Get it right, Mom. Gosh, you don't like, you never pay attention to anything that I say. <laughs> I'm going to go to my room. Anyway, continue. Um, so, it's... It's not very well thought out. <laughs> That's fine. I didn't give you a week with this question or anything. That's fine. <laughs> no, no, you didn't. I, I just, I like... I want to imagine, like, I feel like if Batman went, there's, there, he has such a prestige in the DC universe. Whether he grew up in the Marvel universe or like transitioned over, there, he's not really a character that you can just see kind of crossing over via like a time portal or something, and then like being like, all right, I'm okay with my new circumstances. Like, if I was to incorporate Batman into the Marvel universe, either through like a reboot or to be like to have him kind of start out in present day, um, whether he has his associates with him or not, I feel like. The Marvel Universe would marginalize marginalize him in such a way. Over at DC, he's always surrounded by titans, by gods, by just mm -hmm. just you know the Supermans and the Wonder Womans and the people that can do so much that that are so beyond just normal human capabilities. And of course, the characters like that exist at, at Marvel. Uh, and DC has has more or less you know tried to make their characters with that feet of clay approach like you know kind of played up some of their um hang-ups or issues um but in the marvel universe like i feel like there isn't much emphasis placed on character on the characters that like don't have superpowers mm -hmm. so i feel like you know like hawkeye doesn't have superpowers and he just he's like kind of like the batman on the team so to speak you know he's the one that you know oh he hangs out with all like the superhumans but like he just has arrows you know, that would basically be Batman's role. So it's kind of already taken. So he shows up and Batman's just like, why did no one want to play with me? Um, yes, because that's what Batman sounds like. That's exactly what Batman sounds like. Not like this. Um, 
Yeah, I just, I, it's, it's, I'm just like, I keep picturing like, like the sort of, I guess now iconic scene, like the Avengers all together in the Avengers, like the camera kind of panning around them. And then I just like Batman at the end. It's just like, well, what are you doing there, Batman? Well, you know, he would be a lot more equipped for that situation than Black Widow with her two little guns. Stupid Black Widow. Um, no, it's funny because because Batman is a dick. Like I'm saying, this is somebody who really loves Batman. Batman is a dick, especially to other superheroes in the DC universe. And then to like have that suddenly be in the Avengers, and he would like be, you know, shooting with that same kind of like uh, wit at them, and they like wouldn't know how to take it. But he didn't have a wit in the same way like Tony Stark has a wit. I don't see right. them getting along at all. Oh no, they would not. In this, I think I think there there would eventually be a grudging respect, but mm. not for a while. I think that Batman, he's he's the anal attentive person. He's very driven. He's very focused. He has to be to be able to handle these kind of situations. You know, whereas like you get a lot of superhumans. I think this is more so like he he treats the Justice League this way, but. I don't think it's always um, necessary with the Avengers because they're usually described as such like a uh, cluster F of of just like problems and infighting and just like you know, constantly struggling to work together to get things done. Like he show up and just be like, like this is not worth it. <laughs> like, you, you guys are a joke. I think he would show up to the Avengers and be like, you guys are a joke. I think it, he in the, if he took up residency in the Marvel universe, he would totally not want to be a part of any of their teams and just do things alone. Mm -hmm. I, that, that's what I'm feeling. Okay. Um, uh, I guess it's something I'd have to take. I, I definitely need more thoughts. I unfortunately totally lost track with trying to think about it this past week. Um, but um, I, I'd like to hear your side now. Okay. So when I originally was thinking about this question, um, the two characters that I kind of came to that I thought would be really interesting uh, were Deadpool and Deathstroke. Just because I think that's th there have been hints. Um, you know, there's a character in some, I think it's like a, a JLA annual from way back in the day, uh, where there's this character who's supposed to be Deadpool um, that kind of has some uh, interaction with Deathstroke. Uh, but it's, you know, it's not quite the same thing. So my idea and how it would plan out is you have somebody who's hopping around dimensions. And I think, you know, he would first hop over to Marvel, be causing some trouble, uh, which would somehow get Deadpool involved. Deadpool would get like, you know, LinkedIn where he would then, uh, get travel with this guy over to the DC universe and it would come across the Deathstroke pretty quickly there's some asshole who's dressing like him that's you know talking really crazy and causing a lot of problems and Deathstroke's like hey I have got a reputation to maintain so I'm going to try and lock this down and then his hunt for that gets kind of mixed up with this guy and then they get pulled to a whole different universe and so it forces them to have to you know begrudgingly work together because they're both in the same situation where they're out of their universe and they need to get back to it so they begrudgingly have to work together to hunt down this guy, get whatever the device is, and get back to their respective homes. I think this would be a really fun team-up, not just for the comedy. I think the comedy aspect of it would be really great, because mm -hmm. you could have Deadpool the whole time just being like, no, don't you get it? Like, you're me, I'm you, I know what you're thinking. Um, 
uh, and obviously, you know, Deathstroke being like playing the straight man and just hating it so much. And, you know, I think you'd have to do this at a point where uh, Deadpool still had his powers uh, or his re regeneration. Because I would just love to see Deathstroke attempt to just murder him maliciously. Like, I'll do this by myself and attempt to kill him. And Deadpool's just like, nope, not going to work. Or, and, and here's also why I think it'd be really great. It's because, yes, Deadpool is, uh, you know, a really funny character, but he's also, as a mercenary, to be in the business for this long and to keep getting hired for jobs, he is effective. And I think that's something that doesn't get played up a lot. So I think you have potential for really cool action in this book because mm -hmm. you have, uh, you know, the greatest mercenary of the DC universe and uh, the and most insane mercenary from another universe who, you know, is also very skilled at fighting and very, in, you know... Uh, tactical in his own way and you have them come together and i think it would just be a really it'd be a fun book it would there'd be a lot of really great action um you know it's these are two characters that they would go their separate way nobody's ever going to believe deadpool in anything that he says uh and deathstroke wouldn't talk about it so there wouldn't be like fallout for you know years to come of them like meeting these other characters and seeing these other universes like you know, it's just, it could be sort of a one and done. We could have a lot of fun with this book and then move on with our lives. Uh, I think it would fit perfectly with Marvel's slew of Deadpool kills, Deadpool illustrated, like all that. They do a bunch of uh, like Deadpool Day of, miniseries. Like Day of the um, Living Deadpool is going on right now. Like, yeah, like Night of the Living Deadpool. Day they the actually Living just Deadpool, announced yeah. um, as part of um, Marvel's Secret War event um, because Secret Wars, the title is based off, came from uh, the, the 1980s where they had Marvel superheroes, Secret Wars mm -hmm. um, and a lot of the aspects are similar like there was a battle world in that one, there's a battle world in this one under uh, significantly different circumstances um, but they actually just announced that the same writer that's been doing a lot of the Deadpool miniseries he's doing Deadpool Secret Secret Wars and it's Deadpool inserting himself into the original Secret Wars from the '80s, and how his how he impacted a lot of the game changing events of that series. Hmm. Okay. It's supposedly in continuity. Uh, I suppose in continuity with uh, quotations. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, if you like Deadpool, it sounds kind of funny. All right. That that sounds like something worth checking out. Very cool. Uh, so before we move on to news, though, Nick, are you ready? You actually came up with a quiz? Oh, yeah. No, I came up with a quiz. Oh, no. Okay. All right. Uh, so, uh, per usual, if you fail to uh, answer at least three of these five questions correctly, uh, your family will be caught in the middle of a war um, between a planet and its own moon. That's right. Gear yourself up for a saga quiz. <laughs> All right. Okay. Without looking. Uh, Not looking. How many issues of Saga have been released? 25. Yeah, that was kind of an easy one. Was that that was really easy, being that the 25th book came out yesterday. Hey, you know, I don't know. I don't always pay attention to what number things are. All right, I got one right. Okay. Um, in what month in 2012 was the first issue of Saga published? In what month? Yes. Oh. <laughs> in 2012 oh my god that long it was it seriously started in 20, 2012 yeah 
it's been like three years, mm-hmm. almost. Yeah. Oh. Dude, it's only at twenty issue twenty five. I know. Tell me about it. Uh, um. Month, 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 month. I am gonna go with April. Oh, so close. It was March. March 14th. March was my gut instincts. Ah, you should have gone with it. Uh, All right. Uh, It is reported that Comixology prohibited the sale of one of the issues due to sexual content. Which issue was prohibited? Um... Issue 9. Ooh, it was issue 12. Oh! Oh, man. Oh, issue 12. Why? I also I remember what was on the screen. I know. Things are really not going well for you right now. Um, let's I get, see. I get one more shot. Okay. I have got to uh, pick out... Well, you have, you have two more questions. But it's true. Oh, you you do have one. If you if you miss this next one, horrible things are going to happen. Oh man! Okay, 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 okay. Okay. Uh, give me just a second here. Oh, that could that that would be so mean if I asked you that one. Um. Who is the creative team of Saga? I'll oh man! You, you were so lucky. Um. No, see, I was considering asking you what what, what are the name of the two reporters. Uh, that first appear- the first appearance is in issue number 13. Uh, yeah, I have no idea. Yeah. Nope, I didn't think that you would know that. So that's why I'm not going to uh, to ask you uh, for that. Um, okay, this one... Nice quiz, David. Yeah, hey, you know what? This is how life works. Uh, okay. On the fly with no Who... planning. Hey, it's been working well for us so far. Okay. All right. What's the question? Uh, Marco Alana's wedding rings function as translation devices. Who were the original owners of these rings? Um, uh, his parents. Ooh, no. What? Nope, it's Gwendolyn's grandparents. Oh, freaking Gwendolyn. I, I, oh, that's even, that's I, even a major I, point. I, my my gut instinct was that it had something. To do, it was more on Quindlin than on Marco's side. But then I thought about his parents' his, his parents' influence, and uh, that screwed me up. Uh, my family lose. What's the last question? Okay, the last question uh, is, uh, you know what? Uh, what is the name of Marco's father? Bob. <laughs> no, it's Bar. I really thought you would get that one. Oh, Bar! Hey, I got the B. That's that's true. Uh, well, I you know really hope that uh, your family is in fighting shape because they have just got to uh, join the great war between Landfall and Wreath. I can't wait. Yeah, they are gonna die, man. Horrible things happen to people in that war. Uh, we're moving on now to the news. <sighs> the news. The news. Daredevil trailer. How about that? I am stoked. Yeah, it was a really good trailer. It definitely rustled me up. I'm excited. Got got you got you riled up there. Mm-hmm. It's it's 
I know that uh, you know Avengers Two is kind of going towards a darker place. Um, this is seems to really be going full you know full throttle into the dark grittiness of it. I really like the way they're uh, portraying his powers. There's that kind of that that high pitched tone that's accompanying them. It's mm-hmm. you know it's not it's not clean. Um, it's it obviously is kind of painful to use. I really like that they're keeping in his struggle with his faith. I think that's very integral to the character. Mm-hmm. So to see that that's going to be uh, so prominent, and I love that he's at confession for something he hasn't even done yet. Like that shows that you know that really shows what they're trying to do with this character, especially speaking with that struggle. It's you know he uh, he hasn't even done the act and he already feels bad about it because he's a good Catholic boy and good Catholic boys don't do bad things. Yeah, they've they've never done bad things. No. Um, <laughs> No, I, I like I like the faith aspect of the character uh, and his struggles with it. Uh, I like that he very rarely actually follows the faith itself. Um, the, just being the nature of the line of work that he's in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like that the struggle is there. It's, it's You don't get a lot of characters that deal with aspects of their faith uh, over... And in Daredevil, I mean, more, in most of his issues, he doesn't. But it's something that does get brought up here or there in his books. And I, I believe it was... Um, somewhat important to both uh, Bendis's Daredevil run and Frank Miller's, which are the two runs that I believe heavily influenced this particular Netflix series. Well, they are, uh, they are calling Steve, it the Man Without Fear. Steve DeKnight so. like definitely says that Frank Miller's Daredevil plays a huge role. It's weird, kind of going back to the nitty gritty Daredevil after so many years reading Mark Wade's kind of more superhero integrated which, version. Well, which I think, which I think is something that Daredevil really needed when Mark Wade took on that book mm-hmm. um but i think for doing a tv series in which we have so much bright colorful superhero stuff happening another you know other video medium uh that it's it's a good idea to, to take it towards that darker place yeah and if, if i would definitely recommend if you haven't and i'm trying to see if i have it on my shelf right now um it was uh called daredevil the man without fear the him wearing the black suit the that came from that book from Frank Miller and uh, John Romita Jr. Actually, mm-hmm. um, that was a retelling of his origin. I think you're going to see a lot of elements from that play out in this iteration. Um, I, I mean, I've been stoked uh, for this. Uh, I'm I'm excited that like it's not just like a couple hours and you're done and you got to wait another like two three years. That like we're getting like is it ten episodes or thirteen episodes? Thirteen. 13 episodes all at once. Yeah, and let's talk about that for a second. All right. Because that's Netflix's model. Netflix's model is you're going to get everything at once. And, uh, you know, someone was saying the other day that the writers uh, had expressed that because of the way that now we binge watch everything, they essentially wrote a 13-hour movie. Mm. They, you know, they thought, let's not waste our time with cliffhangers or anything like that because people are just going to digest this all at once which you know the aspect of a 13 hour movie there's some you know you can do a lot of really cool stuff there you can you can kind of slow things down a lot more than you could in a movie where you only have two hours and really Mm -hmm. flesh out uh other characters but at the same time i kind of this is you know when when i recommend that people watch the show lost 
I recommend that they take breaks every once in a while, that they take, you know, at least a couple of days in between episodes every now and then, because it really gives you time to absorb it and to really process things. And I think you get a richer appreciation because you also have that longing and desire for more. Mm-hmm. And you also can, you know, like when Lost was on, it was so much fun week to week to talk about it. And, oh, yeah. and to like share ideas and now you know we're getting 13 hours at once people are going to watch it all the way through and it's going to be good I, I mean I hope that it is going to be good from what yeah. we've seen it appears that it is going to be but I personally miss that aspect of it I mean I think the, the term binge watching says it all I mean binging anything isn't good for you it's like eating food too quickly which I am all too familiar but with. You and, you and I have never done that. I have, yeah, but to, it, it, today. You know, it, it's, it's something where, like, yes, you get the, you know, you get all the nutrients in, more or less, you know, you, you've consumed it, you're, you are now full, but you eat it so fast that, like, your mind hasn't had time to catch up, so you end up eating even more than you intended. And hmm. then, like, you just feel overstuffed, and you just don't truly appreciate the food. There's something to be said about being a slowdown, at least when it comes to, like, television shows, I don't watch a lot. I used to watch a crap ton of movies and a crap ton of TV shows. Like, apparently I had nothing to do in the year 2005. Um, <laughs> that's 10 years ago. Oh, my God. I still watch uh, a good amount, though. Don't worry, folks. I mean, now you know, now that like, I watch Arrow, I watch The Flash. Um, oh, we didn't talk about uh, The Flash. We'll talk. All right, we'll keep um, And uh, what am I else? Am I I'm catching up on Breaking Bad now. No spoilers. Uh, Wait, really? Tell spoilers. Um, you know, and, and with Breaking Bad, and no, like I've been that, watching that's... it for like, like we'll watch like three episodes at a time. See, and that's you another, know? that's another show, and it's, it's good. I think it's cool that you're watching it with somebody because that gives you someone to talk about it with and share thoughts. Yeah. But that was also another show where I was watching that was happening, and we were like week to week, we're like, holy crap, like this, that was so great, and like let's go online and like you know go to the subreddit and read the episode discussions and see what people like you know saw that I didn't see that first time and like point out and like get really excited for the next episode. Uh, anyway, yeah, and I think from the writer's standpoint, there's the idea of a 13-hour movie does sound really cool, if not daunting, but I don't think that even in a, something that has the not as the intention but the perception that binge watching will be a popular choice for it that you shouldn't have cliffhangers because in a sense I'm, I'm not binge watching Breaking Bad but you know whereas I go from watching one episode a week you know to three episodes every couple of days um, it, you know when an episode ends and it ends in just like essentially a cliffhangery way you're just like how does he get out of this next? Mm-hmm. So you don't necessarily just want to. I'm not saying they're going to end an episode. Yeah, I, there's going to be cliffhangers in Daryl, some of some measure. You know, it's well, not just at like least, at least end with him walking down the street and then cut to nothing. At least the last episode might have a cliffhanger. Yeah, I uh, mean, it, but with Daredevil, like technically, you're not going to see him again until the Defenders, um, you know, which is like several years away. Which is interesting, unless they decide to do a, a second season concurrently. Uh, yeah, um, I, well, I, I mean, they have to do AKA Jessica Drew, and then um, Iron Fist and Luke Cage. Yeah, and then they're and then I think the plan is to do Defenders. Yeah. So I imagine there will be sort of a build up in the way that Avengers was built up, where there will be some reason for all of them to come together. Um, 
or I mean, maybe they will save it until like the, you know, in the first two issues, the first two issues, first two episodes of defenders is going to be about them coming together. Um, yeah, I don't know. I imagine, you know, cause this is, this is all about the street level heroes. There's gotta be at least a mention, if not some level of crossover between them. But yeah, you're, well, not, you're not gonna. You're, I, you're not gonna I know get... that Luke Cage is gonna be in the Jessica Jones one. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but that's. I mean, obviously, like, but I don't. Like, you're not gonna have uh, Charlie Cox over on AKA. Um, I keep wanting to say AKA Jessica Drew because a guy at my shop called it that, and it's really uh, driving me crazy. But you're not gonna have like Charlie Cox in like a three episode arc over there. You know, it's uh, like he. You know, he'll, he'll probably have like a brief appearance if at all um yeah uh, yeah i don't know are they just gonna put like charlie cox and cryogenic freezing until they need him again right i think there's a potential for a daredevil season two in the midst of all of this because in theory it's like that you know it's one thing when you're putting together a show but once you kind of have majority of the pieces together like i wouldn't be as hard to get a second season up and running to to to, to kind of happen within all the other ones. Cause that's if like, supposedly we could see Jessica drew by the end of the year. Like so someone said they could happen by the end of 2015. Well, that's, and that's what Marvel's kind of insisting. But I know that Netflix has said that their idea was to do like one of these a year. Yeah. But I mean, again, like it's 2015. If we do, we got daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist. So four, so that's four years. No, and, I, I and absolutely, then in the fifth I absolutely, year you have, Defenders. Defenders. I have and to, I, God forbid one of these guys get into a car accident and die mm-hmm. <laughs> along uh, the way. No, no, I, I absolutely think they should do two a year. Doing one a year, it just seems. I think I think they could do they could do Daredevil this year, and then next year they could do whether it's like they could like the beginning of the year could be Jessica Jones, and then like near the end in of the April, year, in like the middle change. of the year, they could do Daredevil season two, and then like. I don't think we would get it. No, we're not going to get their Daredevil season two that quickly, or something. I don't know. I mean, I, mean, I don't see if they're treating it like a TV show. Why not? Well, because it kind of is and it kind of isn't. I know, but I don't want to have. I want to. Okay, but then, but then, two. like, but then I haven't okay. even seen Daredevil season one. And I okay, want a season two. I know, but then, like, what are we going to do in? Uh, so you know, you know, you know, 2015 Daredevil, 2016. In from what you're saying. Uh, we get the uh, the AKA Jessica Jones series and Daredevil season two. Then what about uh, 2017? Do we get season two, season three, and season one of Luke Cage? I don't know. Like, you see, you see where I'm going with this? No, no. I mean, they're going to be overworked, but I think they'll be okay. Well, um, I don't. But I, I, that's I don't know if Netflix has the money for that amongst their other uh, series because you know someone else the, the fact the, bill. the fact that they have to actually rent out the White House to film House of Cards. They do? No. Oh, I was going to say, I was like, I don't think they ever use the White House for anything. They always have to build a set. They never they never use the White House for anything, no. ever. <laughs> no one even lives in the White House. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I haven't even seen this first season, but I know that I'm going to, like, on one hand, like, I was like, oh, I want everyone to come over and, like, binge watch it. And I was like, I'm not a binge watcher. Like, I, I would get exhausted trying to pummel through it. So maybe I'll do like the first three episodes. I'll have people over. Well, yeah, it's like, well, I'm watching uh, Peaky Blinders right now. It's only six episodes per season of that. And I'm like, I finished one. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go for a walk. Is it good? It's No, it's really good. It's just like, okay, like I don't need to. 
Have you watched uh, Marco Polo? I did watch Marco Polo. I'm like, I've seen like the first two, three episodes. That naked fight scene. Oh, that was crazy. That was awesome. That was so crazy. Oh, man. I liked that show, I think, better than general opinion. But you know what are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, anyway, we're talking about Daredevil. Daredevil. Any other Dare thoughts? Any other thoughts? Marco Daredevil. I, I like that they didn't show Kingpin. Um, they show his back. Well, yeah, and that was, that was such an interesting shot because he's not wearing the big white suit, but he's standing in front of, a, you know, a painting that is primarily white. Um, I think that the visuals in this show, from what we've seen, and I'm hoping what we've seen is only like the first episode or two, because mm-hmm. um, they've said that the the suit's going to evolve throughout the. Uh, oh, I imagine he'll have like he. They've season. said that there will be a red suit. And, you know, I can see it happening eventually. I can see like the first few episodes kind of being more in line with like his origin. Mm-hmm. Like you get like half the seasons kind of him set like getting set up and kind of getting established. And then probably like halfway through we'll see the red suit and then like the second half will be whatever the frick happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, it's hard. I want to enjoy like the next couple of months of my life, but I really want to get to April 10th. Well, that's like how I really, really just wish that next year was here so I could see Batman v Superman. But I also don't want to lose an entire year of my life. <laughs> like, what do I do? <sighs> There's compromises, yeah. man. Like you gotta, you gotta somehow live. Like you gotta do things with yourself to pass the time. There's no winning in this situation. Like spend some time with your wife, you know, and and then you know, fine, and then you'll fine. be 2016 before you know it. Oh man! And then, and then I think that's a it's an interesting. Then thing. Nick, like, I, Nick, we'll be yeah. turning, we'll be turning 28. Oh. Anyway, well, your birthday's at the end of the year. Mine's in the middle of the year. Yeah, so I literally I'm, have I'm... half a year build up, and then I'm like, dang. You also have like, you know, that well, because then you're spending the last half of the year just in turmoil, and then you're trying to enjoy the first half of the next year as much as you can. I know, so... I know. I, 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 my birthday happens, and anyone who knows me, I, I try not to make a big deal of my birthday, but it always ends up being a big deal. I just well, if you stop renting an elephant every year. I just, I think, I, I like that my birthday is an excuse for people to, from all walks of life to come together. Are you implying that you are uh, befriending this elephant? We're buddies. Um, yeah. Uh, no, I'm not going to talk about my birthday. That's, that's on the Heck Yeah Birthday podcast. Um, but I totally lost my train of thought on what I was going to say. Uh, you just, you really want Daredevil to be here right now. Either. No, I do. But you don't. At a different point, and I forgot. It'll yeah. come back to me. Let's just let's just move on now. To, on. Uh, um, we got our first look at Ray Palmer as the Atom. Uh, for those who are not in the in the know, uh, right now over at Arrow, we have Brandon Ruth, uh, who was once upon a time Superman, uh, has been on Arrow for the season uh, pretty regularly, actually, and. Uh, as has been hinted, um, he is going to be eventually donning the uh, persona of the Atom to fight crime in the wake of his fiance's death. And uh, essentially, they wanted to do Blue Beetle, I think, is the story, but then they decided to do something else with Ted Cord. So they shifted the storyline over to Ray Palmer. Uh, and the suit looks really good, actually. 
I'm pretty impressed with it for a TV show. The first thing I thought when I saw it was, hey, it's Exo Manowar from the Valley Universe. I, I, oh, I can, I can kind of see that. And I also see a little bit of Ant-Man in it, at least this new Ant-Man suit. Uh, it's, it, it's more like with the helmet. Um, um, oh, wait, where is Okay, I pulled the picture up now. Um, it, yeah, it just looks like Exo Manowar a lot. Um, but it, it's cool. It's a cool costume. It's weird because, like, I don't... It, it makes him seem kind of like a mechanical superhero. And well, again, he was supposed to be Blue Beetle. And then... Who, besides besides the Jamie Ray's or Jaime Ray's um, Blue Beetle, um, you know, Ted Kord was, like, had gadgets, but he as a suit, he wasn't mechanical. It right, but, suit. I mean, if they were going to do Blue Beetle, it would probably be a mechanical suit. Yeah, I guess if they had done Blue Beetle... I, it would be okay, and I guess another thing with with the ad, like I've been enjoying Ray Palmer on the show. Yeah, Brandon but Ruth he is Brandon really like is a great actor. I really I do. Enjoy him. He was really good on Chuck. I I actually really feel bad that his superhero that his Superman movie was really bad because he was a really good Christopher Reeves. Like, he was. <laughs> no, and like that's saying like Christopher Reeves Superman has like a special place in a lot of people's hearts, and so for him to come into that role and do it really well, I thought was really cool. Yeah, but unfortunately, uh, that movie was awful. It, um, it, it still has a certain certain fondness in my heart that I'm kind of I don't really want to go back and rewatch it. But yeah, you shouldn't. Let me tell you. But you I shouldn't. mean, it, it's funny because it, it's directed by the same person that directed X Men: Days of Future Past, and we just know how terrible. Oh that man, I, I wish I could reach through this microphone right now <laughs> and throttle you. Um, so it's a cool suit, I guess. It, with me, and I don't have a ton of experience with Ray Palmer, but because he's always been more of like a college professor turned superhero guy, like just more scientist than anything, he he really is more of Ted Cord, you know, by mm -hmm. person, like kind of, I guess personality, but like by sort of his, I don't know, how would you describe it? the fact that he's like he's actually more of a business person uh, that he runs a company. Like, that's definitely more Ted Kord than Ray Palmer. Mm -hmm. So it really kind of feels like they kind of, like, just wrote Ted Kord scenes and then changed the name to Ray Palmer. I, you, know, you know, yeah, but I think that it works. I think because... It's just, it's a different Ray Palmer. Like, I'm not saying mm -hmm. that I, I, like, not my Ray Palmer. Like, I don't care that much. Um, I, I think that... Well, it's, like, I mean, it's like, it's like Ronnie, uh, you know, Firestorm Ronnie, isn't he always, like, a jock? And, yeah, he's like a scientist in yeah. that one as well. Yeah, now like over in the Flash, he was like originally a scientist, which um, makes the which it's interesting that they're still doing the Professor Stein. Oh uh, man, it's so cool. Because um, I mean, Professor Stein, like professors, like the whole Firestorm thing was that Ronnie was the kind of like he was the muscle, like he would go like he he was the primary driver of Fire, Firestorm, but like if they had to transmute something or, or you know something complex came up. Like Professor Stein was the one that was, that was basically saving the day using his intelligence. But now it's like you have Ronnie, who is you know also apparently uh, intelligent enough to work on like a, a very important hadron collider or whatever. But maybe project. maybe he never learned the uh, the periodic table of elements because that's something that you don't learn before you get a job involving physics, uh, which is you don't. Yeah, but, see, you don't need that. See, per we've we've just figured it out. We've cracked the code. 
he's he's the physicist, but P P Professor Stein is the biologist, the elementist, the, the uh, element, uh, the the alchemist, the elemental. He's um, uh, yeah. Anyway, but so that'll be interesting to see how because they also introduced Jason Rush, you know, who kind of took over for for Professor Stein uh, in that dynamic. Um, so I'm wondering, like, in what capacity will he play a role as far mm -hmm. as Firestorm goes? Because I actually really like Jason Rush and. Uh, I, there hasn't been enough of his character on the show to know how I care about him on the television show, but I, I would enjoy seeing more of him and seeing him play it more of an integral role. Yeah. See, my, my first uh, exposure to him was in Blackest Night when uh, Ronnie kind of got resurrected and then turned his girlfriend into salt. Yeah, uh, that, that wasn't helpful. That was so messed up. Uh, anyway. But then they became great pals, and then they rebooted the universe, and like they were always Firestorm. And together. they still hate each other. And they still hate each other, yeah. Um, but getting back to the Atom suit, it's it's cool. It looks a lot like Exo Manowar. Um, I'm excited to see exactly, like, it's, it's one, like, with Arrow, with the Flash, you kind of see, like, how, like, they jump to the conclusion of, like, like they're they're vigilantes, like they are crime fighters in the physical sense, but I feel like Ray Palmer is too smart to just simply be a guy that's just like I have a lot of money. I'm upset that my fiance was killed. Uh, I'm gonna put on this high tech suit and go around and punch people. Like there, there's got to be a line. Like I feel like if you're if you're truly trying to combat crime, you can't just punch everyone in the face that you know pickpocket someone. Mm -hmm. Like there has to be like systemic change. To improve the society so that you're, you become unnecessary. Well, I feel like Ray Palmer is the kind of character that would do that, not make a suit that may or may not shrink him to a small size, mm -hmm. and then punch people. Right. And it, well, they, they've even said in the show his characters made the point of uh, he, you know, he had the idea after the arrow appeared, um, and this is totally like a, a rich you know, a rich person, like, solution. It's like, oh, man, this guy did it, and he's doing it with, like, nothing. I have enough money to, you know, make a suit that's presumably, like, bulletproof. And, you know, imagine, like, how much more I could do. And I think, this, you know, the way they've handled Laurel so far as the Canary, I think, has been done really well in the, the way that uh, she's had some training, but she doesn't have any experience and so when she's out there she is doing okay but she's not doing very well yeah um she's and, definitely got to go through a crucible still yeah and i don't think she's quite had her crucible moment no and it, you know sort of like ollie when he was on the island and stuff like that he you know he could shoot the bow and arrow uh when they were you know in season two he could shoot the bow and arrow but he couldn't be like really moving when he did it he had to like be staying in one place yeah um and so I think I'd really like to see like, yeah, he, he, you know, Ray Palmer goes out there and yeah, he, you know, he, he has augmented strength and he can do all these things, but he's really not like aware of his surroundings. He kind of like puts himself and others in danger or he causes more like property damage than he means to. Cause he doesn't really know how to handle himself. So I'm curious to see what they do. And also, you know, he's a high profile figure. This is currently a classified operation that he's undertaking to mm -hmm. develop this suit. And then his face is completely exposed. Well, I, in the, we, I mean, we've just seen him in the suit. I wonder, and I would bet, that the suit will project an image over the eyes or something. Maybe. Yeah, but if think. not, then it's just like... Well, then again, the he, head 
of he is, a, but he is trying to be like a symbol. He keeps talking about that. Yeah, I get what well, you're saying, but, though. But the average person, especially the 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 sort of cowardly and superstitious lot that he plans on beating up, don't necessarily give a crap about science. So the fact that you're like, I'm the Adam, like kids, this is how you should care more about science. They're not necessarily going to care about that. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, it's just something where I. And I don't necessarily. I, I think it's it's not worth any breath trying to argue realism and the Arrow universe. Um, right. It's just I think now because from the original season, like the show's gone so far away from just like being Arrow's thing. They're like they are building a mini like a television DC universe. Mm-hmm. There's so many crime fighters yeah. on Team Arrow now. It's... They're like adding in one more, especially one that's like significantly i say qualified in the sense that like his suit's a lot more practical than just being a guy with a bow and arrow i don't think he's going to join the team though i think he's just going to be within the city for now. yeah i think i think if if i don't think he's going to stick around well i mean we'll see i think he might be like oh man you guys have this city protected i can go somewhere else and you know help others um yeah it is getting a little ridiculous that everybody is a crime fighter that we've kind of lost that grounding element of yeah. real people. And we have Diggle, who, you know, is just a guy with a gun, but at the same time, he's not there all the time. And one guy isn't going to make the difference. Like, in season one, it was Oliver was the was the vigilante. And you had Thea, Moira, uh, you know, Laurel, Detective Lance. Like, all these people were just normal people, and he was the strange thing. And now... Pretty and now much everyone's everyone. a strange thing. Yeah, and I think they need to kind of augment that back the other way a little bit. Yeah, and the thing is, like, at the same time, I like all the characters individually. I mm-hmm. want to see Laurel's transition to Black Canary. I want to see Roy. And I think they've you know continue. I really like Roy's last couple episodes. Yeah, no, I have too. Um, but at the same time, like, there just isn't enough time in an episode in a season. To give all these characters their due. And I think one thing the show occasionally shows with it feels like certain characters that can just get left standing around. Like, uh, they obviously pay a lot of attention to um, Felicity for mm-hmm. good reason, because we all love Felicity. Um, but, you know, it, it really has kind of gotten away from uh, Oliver, from it just being Oliver's thing. Mm-hmm. So I will be curious how much of a role that Adam plays in. And if he doesn't shrink, then he's really just Iron Man. Okay, you know... If, if he doesn't shrink, he's really just more or less Iron Man. Okay. Or Exo Man, or hard to say. Look, isn't Ollie just essentially Batman with bow and arrow? No, but there's a whole lot more that goes on with Batman. Ollie really is just a guy with arrows. Okay. A, very, a highly skilled guy with arrows. And the show's gone a long way to really create a very nuanced approach to Oliver, um, to, to the green arrow character. Um, but he, he's a grim and gritty crime fighter that shoots arrows. And I, like I said, it's not worth, it's a, it's a fun show. I enjoy watching it. Um, I accept its inherent ridiculousness and silliness, especially you know, it's like I can accept like, you know, that I'm watching the exploits of a guy tackle like, criminals with like high powered assault rifles and all he's using is an arrow. Mm-hmm. And then the same time that it takes a guy to just go <laughs> around the room that he's 
been able to dodge the bullets and get another arrow out and then shoot the guy. Like, it's not really worth wasting the breath arguing about because the show is going to be what the show is going to be. But I, it would be nice to kind of dial it back a bit and just refocus, really just focus on Arrow, Diggle, and Felicity. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, I think keep Roy around even, just give him a little more spotlight, back off on Laurel a bit, have her do like her lawyer thing, even though, you know, I, I've liked her a lot more these last couple episodes. I think that they're, yeah, they could kind of pare things down a bit, which I, I get that, that, you know, there's escalation that's involved in all of this, but I just hope they don't escalate too far. Too, yeah, too quickly. At some point, yeah. like, these, these things have to come around naturally, but then I think it's, it's especially with, like, what you can do with comics that you can't do with TV is, like, you can have Team Arrow and have, like, five people on the team, so to speak. It's not that it's, like, a sort of official team. Like, you can have Laura, but because, like, you're not beholding to real people, like, you could just focus on just solo Oliver for several issues before kind of tying them back in. But with this, like, you have contracts, you have people, like, there's an expect like, they need roles, like, they can't just stand around and do nothing. And some characters feel like they, they, they kind of spin in place. Mm-hmm. You know, like Thea more or less spins in place a lot. Like she, her character advanced between the seasons, but in, in this season, she's more or less just stayed in place. You yeah. know, so and so because they're kind of beholding to like the, these are people that kind of need to eat. You know, so they kind of need. I get. I, I don't know. I don't think their their contracts are based on screen time. They could probably do one scene and get paid the same amount or something, but. They need something to do, like especially if you want to keep these these actors invested. Like they, they need something to do, so you kind of are forced to kind of pander in a way to make sure all these characters are getting their moments, even if it's ultimately detracting from the overall atmosphere of the show. The Arrow Cave is getting kind of crowded, is what I'm saying. Uh, what was uh what was that great line about there being a plant in there? Anyway, um, I really enjoyed that. Uh, Roy called it the Arrow Cave. Uh, back in the Flash crossover. Um, no, I totally agree with you. Uh, I do think we need to see some more Barrowman, though. That's just something that needs to happen. Um, <laughs> I yeah. don't like. Oh wait, never mind. I can't tell you. <sighs> yeah, I haven't seen the latest episode yet. Uh, we'll you talk watch about... it so I can I can talk to you about Barrowman's character. Yeah, let's just go ahead. Like for the next forty five minutes, I'm just going to watch the episode uh, while, <laughs> while we're recording it. this. And what'll be great is that you can't hear uh, what I hear. So like, we could do that sometime. You know, just like watch an episode together and then record our commentary. Oh man, we just do like do an that. Arrow commentary thing. We should do that. Oh, okay. All right. We're going to... You're excited. I am. Okay. Yeah, that's going to be in the works. That could be some bonus episode stuff. I like that. All right. We are kind of running over time a bit here, uh, which is fine. So, But I say we do just one more quick talking about a news story, uh, and then we'll kind of do our sign-off. Um, I know which one you want to talk about, Nick. Uh, that You know, you're just so excited about this guy who cut off his nose to lose the red skull but let's talk about bendis uh brian so, michael bendis so brian michael bendis uh, has been announced is no longer going to be writing uh either of the x-men books that he was writing uh but he is not gone from marvel we don't nope. know 
what's going to happen. They've they've confirmed that he's locked into some sort of contract, which means they've mm-hmm. chained him to the uh, to the heater in the basement. Um, but we'll we'll see. I know he has said that he won't consider his writing career done till he writes at DC. Uh, he so, did say that. I didn't see that. Yeah, he said that somewhere before. Um, I, I'm curious to see what he's going to be doing though. I mean, he's, he's a high-profile guy. X-Men's high-profile book. Uh, I wonder what they're going to have him doing. Do you have any speculation? You you know more about that side of the stuff than I uh, do. I actually have more or less been reading the majority of Bendis' X-Men run. I, I like that he said that, like, on one hand, when at the outset, it seemed like he really was planning on hunkering down for, you know, the, about roughly the same period of time um, on X-Men as he did with Avengers. But this was with 2012, so basically three years on the books. Um, it's, I'm not, I like following Bendis on Twitter. He's a really compelling guy. He's really kind of a guy that kind of went from nothing to something. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I really kind of enjoy his, as a person, his kind of, his arc as a, his journey career wise. Um, I can't say this, that I've always enjoyed his work. He's definitely been hit or miss. I kind of follow the more moderate Bendis fans where it's like, we really enjoy the stuff that he creates himself. We acknowledge that he has some really good ideas, but upon like an issue to issue basis where the execution isn't always successful. Mm-hmm. With X-Men, there have been brief moments where like I've enjoyed kind of an in-moment thing, like the, the, a character interaction or an idea that he had that I thought that he pulled off. But kind of like, and it, I guess we still have a couple months, you know, I'm assuming it's wrapping in like May or something like that, um, that it feels like there's a lot of plot lines up in the air that mm-hmm. I, I'd be hard to say that for a guy that, tends to pad things out over over many issues, like pads things mm-hmm. out over many issues, that they could be resolved satisfactorily by, like, May, or like the next few months that, that we have left with Bendis on X-Men. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been my favorite X-Men. Um, it, it, it really was a continuation of Kieran Gillen's X-Men, where, like, he was already kind of in a position of setting them up as kind of out, like at least Cyclops side is more of like outlaws. Outlaws. Um, Bendis really took that and ran with it. Um, he was establishing like Cyclops is like wanting to start this mutant revolution, this whole thing, um, and then it kind of went nowhere. Mm-hmm. And I and part of me wants to think that that the, that Bendis will close out the whole mutant revolution thing with being that like Cyclops you know, said, just because he said he wanted to have mutant revolution, you know, but possibly, like, underneath it all, like, he doesn't really want a mutant revolution, but he feels like he has to do something. Mm-hmm. Like, it'll, it'll kind of get tied up in a way where you get out of having one, like, a major confrontation, um, because, you know, through character, you know, that Cyclops is the kind of person where he never wanted a mutant revolution. He was always kind of towing the line of Xavier's dream. He was the Boy Scout, and in this case, he's kind of become the radical, you know, he's been described as Magneto-esque, mm-hmm. but he's never really pulled the trigger on a full-blown mutant revolution. Um, and I, I'm wondering if that has been part of Bendis's plans the whole time, that just because he said that he was going to do one, doesn't mean that he was actually pulled the trigger on one. It's he's come close. Um, it does feel like a run where a lot of stuff happened, but nothing happened. 
Okay. There was like a plot line with like Mystique and Sabretooth like buying Madripoor, this island nation, and then like it doesn't really go anywhere, and then like you come back around to it, and like it's become like a mutant kind of kind of like the next mutant, like the next Genosha, the next mutant nation. Uh-huh. But it's like it's like referenced nowhere in any other book that this has actually happened. Uh, and then I, I don't know if there's going to be any resolution to that going forward. Um, him bringing the, the original X-Men was, he admits that it wasn't his idea. Um, I think it was an interesting decision. I don't necessarily like the way that it came about. I've enjoyed a lot of the moments in which they've been here in the present time. Um, that I think that's definitely what he's going to be remembered for even more than like his uncanny X-Men book with Cyclops. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, I guess in a lot of ways, even with the original X-Men here, it feels like it's been kind of spinning its wheels. And it's just hard to say how it's going to wrap up. Okay. Um, did, has he left an indelible fo- uh, thumbprint on the X-Men? Maybe. Time will tell. I'm, I'm not sad that he's leaving. I'm glad that he had, had a run that he can be proud of. Uh, I'm now really excited to see who ultimately takes over kind of steering the main X-Men ship uh, and how Secret Wars affects them and, you know, where are we going to see them at the in September? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's interesting. It's interesting that he's off the books. He says that he has other projects lined up that he's more excited to tackle. I'm wondering what those are. Um, it's, it's interesting. And the fact that I, I'm not surprised that he's re-upped his exclusive contract with Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a fe- I don't know how long this contract is for. Like how many, I, I know that every contract is different. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a feeling that whether it's five years, 10, like however many years this contract is when it's up, that this is, that that is when he might make it become a free agent and at least maybe still work for Marvel, but also take work at DC if DC will have them, which I bet they would. Oh, I'm sure they would. Absolutely. Um, you know, that's kind of where like everybody talks about these rivalries. Like once people are free agents, you really see how that stuff kind of, kind of dissolves away. Cause you know, both sides want great talent and they're, you know, they're happy to have whatever talent wants to do some, cause, cause you know, the, a writer is not going to go over and try to screw over DC by you know writing this really really gay batman story like they're gonna go over there and tell the batman story they've always wanted to tell which was the gay batman which is the gay which could be the gay batman story but that it's not to sabotage uh purposefully yeah (laughs) uh so yep that uh that i think now 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 i'm trying to imagine bendis on a dc book like bendis writes green lantern or bendis writes batman or superman or something i think he's only really interested in writing batman I could totally see him on Batman. I don't know how much I would enjoy it, but I could just see him writing. And and he does like Daredevil, like he did sort of critty grime drama well. Well, then he maybe he could do go over and do detective comics because that's kind of more where the crime drama falls. He could. Um, so yeah, it's uh, Bendis, man. I don't know. He, you know, uh, he he really cemented himself at Marvel. And I mean, if anything, I'm just jelly of the guy. So what it all comes down to, right? All about the jelly. All about the what? Okay. So I think uh, that's going to do it for us. Oh, I guess we should probably do quick uh, quick recommendations. Uh, Nick, what do you got? I recommend, David, that you tell us your recommendation. Man, that's really weird. Oh, I do have a recommendation. Okay, great. What is I'm it? not going to be long about it. Okay. Uh, just randomly, like, A, because I have, like, three billion books on comiXology that I've never read. Mm-hmm. Uh 
I he enjoyed the the Tom Cruise um, uh, Edge of Tomorrow movie. Um, I I've purchased the audiobook for the original Japanese novel, uh, and I noticed on Comixology that they had released a manga adaptation of the novel by the that in the art done by the guy who did Death Note, mm-hmm. which I know is very popular. Excuse me. Um, and I just kind of read it more or less. I read like there's two volumes. I read one like one day and then the, the second one the next day. And I thought the artwork was great. Um, there was, there's like, I took, I, cause I, one of the cool things about reading things digitally is that like, if you like a panel or a page that you really like, you can like take a screen capture of it, you know, and you can go back to it just to appreciate that particular panel or page. Mm-hmm. I did that a handful of times with this book. There's a lot of great facial expressions in certain scenes, a lot of cool action moments. Um, it more or less follows a similar plot like the the Edge of Tomorrow movie, uh, it's a little bit more. The, the ending's less hopeful than the uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a bittersweet hopeful, I should say. Yeah. Um, but it's good. There's kind of an equal balance. Like one volume is more focused on the Tom Cruise character, who I'm blanking on his name, and the and the, the K, 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 KG or something like that was his name. And then they had um, the the. Now, have you said the actual name? Or have you just been calling it the Edge of Tomorrow comic? It's called All You Need Is Kill. The book, yep. the Japanese novel that Edge of Tomorrow is based on, is called All You Need, Need Is Kill. Kill. Yep. And that's what the manga is called as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Keiji, um, who's the, the the male protagonist, is like sort of the center of the first volume, and then Rita is the center of the second volume. So it's cool. It it's just, it was it was good. It, I, reading it, I didn't feel like I'm just rehashing seeing the movie. A lot of the supporting characters are different, um, mm-hmm. but some of the beats are similar. But it, it Rita was in particular a very like I, I actually like the Emily Blunt version, but um, uh, the Rita character like definitely really kind of sucked you in. Like she she was an interesting character. It, it was good. If you like Edge of Tomorrow, and but you're not too hung up on like campy Hollywood endings. And you can handle a little maybe bittersweetness. Check out All You Need Is Kill, the manga. All You uh, Need Is Kill. And at this point, like I'm definitely interested in reading the book itself to see how much either the manga or the, the movie deviated from the, the source material. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I read it you know, pretty quickly. Uh, it was like 440 pages total between the two volumes. And you, you know, with manga, you kind of like zip by it. Uh, it, it, it. It moved by very quickly. Cool. Uh, I was absorbed. So, all you need is kill volume one and two. You can get them on Comicsology. I think for on the cheap. All right. Very cool. I've been meaning to check that out. So, good recommendation. My recommendation is going to be something that's a little bit different uh, than something uh, we've done before, and I'm going to recommend a little short film that you can find over on YouTube called Batman Dead End. It's a uh, it's a little eight minute movie. Um, that I saw back in my comic shop years ago. And it's this uh, story, uh, it's a little fan film uh, where Batman is going and hunting down the Joker. And when he finds the Joker, uh, he the Joker suddenly gets grabbed by an alien. And when I say an alien, I mean an alien from Alien. Uh, and aliens and alien resurrection and all that crap. Oh man, I think I've seen this actually. Yeah, and then shortly after that, a predator shows up. So you have Batman fighting an alien and a predator. Uh, it's 
You know, it's pretty good as far as uh, fan films go. It's a fun little watch. Uh, it's only, like I said, eight minutes. Uh, very well done. The you know the the Joker they have in there. I really like the. He's only in there for like about one or two minutes, uh, but I really like the way that they did it and um, visually they they got things right. There's this really great scene where uh, Batman kind of jumps down to the street and then he stands up and his cape you know is kind of spread out and it comes all together um, and him being this really imposing figure and it's it's a really really cool shot. So if you're looking for, you know, for a way to, to fill 10 minutes in between, you know, whatever it is you got going on, just hop over to YouTube, Batman Dead End. Uh, I guarantee you'll, uh, you'll have some fun with it. Uh, All right. Yeah, and I think that is going to do it for us. Um, I, I feel like I have a script that I'm just, like, reading from because I say... <laughs> like the same stuff all the time but that's fine you know it gives people uh people like the uh the 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 rep repetition i don't know uh it's is what it is so if you want to find out more about the show head over to heckyeahcomics.com you can of course follow us on twitter uh at heckyeahcomics you can send us an email about anything and everything doesn't have to be just about comics we'll we'll read your manifesto Heckyacomics at gmail.com. You can, of course, find me over on Twitter at Davlas. You can find Nick dying between uh, beneath a stack of three weeks' worth of comics. Uh, and you can always catch us here next week. Remember, if you enjoyed the show, then please tell your friends. And if you hated it, then please tell your enemies. Until next time, goodbye. Bye-bye. Worst episode ever.